May, I would really like to start season three by talking about the biggest mystery in the universe. Aliens? Uh, no. Metachlorians? Uh, uh, sort of. Awesome. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Science Brunch. I'm May Prince and I'm here with Katie McKissick, aka Beatrice, a biologist. Hello everyone. And we are back with season three. Season three. Season three for you and me. Exactly. And we've been doing this for a year now. So we have two seasons under our belt. 20 episodes if you want to go back and listen to our lovely voices. That's so many. I know. What have, Why haven't we quit yet? I don't know. What's <laughs> wrong <laughs> with us? When but are we going to learn? We're glad you're still with us. And uh, today, what are we talking about today? We're talking about Vera Rubin. No, I'm just kidding. It's not French, but Vera Rubin. <laughs> Vera Rubin. Awesome. Rubin Vera. Who? She sounds very familiar. Yes. Uh, you may have heard of her because, um, well... She passed away uh, in December of oh, this past year. She was one of the 2016 deaths that everyone was like, can we stop, please? Gotcha. Oh, I remember this now. It was yeah. like in December, right? It was actually Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. I remember no this now. No one's allowed to die on Christmas, I, I thought. I remember because she's actually a big name in her field. And when she died, people were just like too tired to even cope. Yeah. Well, and people were also saying, well, there goes the hopes for a Nobel for her because right. she'd been snubbed many, many times and they are not awarded posthumously after death, you know, so... Boo. So much for that. Uh, but we'll we'll get there. And we'll <laughs> talk about why she definitely deserved a Nobel, yeah. uh, although she you know never did get one. Uh, but before we do that, we always start with our science starter, our little appetizer before yes. our science brunch. Yes. What do you got for me? I've got killer it mice. Better, it better be... What? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I saw this story and I was like, we have to cover this because I love it. Um, so yeah, so... Uh, scientists have been trying to figure out kind of what part of the brain holds the hunting instinct and predatory instincts in animals and I suppose humans as well. I, and I do have a predatory instinct. This is true. <laughs> exactly. For like Cheez-Its and like... Well, no, I just, I watch John Wick and I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> I, wonder if they'll, I wonder if they'll like show mice John Wick in the future and like see if that does anything. Uh, but yeah, so they were trying to figure out like what part of the brain controls that. And they noticed that a certain part of the brain was lighting up in, um, in rats who were hunting because... Apparently, rats hunt because they're scary and mean. Yeah, right? what? Yeah. So they isolated that part of the brain, the amygdala. Did I pronounce that correctly? Amygdala. It was close. What? You're good. You're good. All right. Amygdala. My, my pronunciation is quite off. Um, but so they, they isolated that part of the brain, and they actually, um, I think they stimulated it with lasers because they're villains <laughs> as well. well yeah. <laughs> We're going to need some lasers. And they found out that the mice that they activated, quote unquote, um, exhibited predatory instincts. And they actually were able to determine that it wasn't just that they activated the hunger instinct or, mm. you know, oh, I want a snack now. And so they're behaving differently. Um, it's actually predatory. So they were exhibiting those kinds of behaviors, not just oh, I'm on the hunt for food. So, like, uh, like killing for fun, <laughs> too? I think just, like, the kind of uh, moving around and, like, pretending that they were eating. Like, they when they activated them, <laughs> these mice were, like, put their arms out as if they were holding food and were chewing. So it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was, like, it was like, something is wrong with these mice. Um, but what's interesting to me is that these scientists are clearly on the path to villainy. <laughs> <laughs> And they're just working their way up to like creating rabbits super. And, and, 
than cats. They, they won't have Super to go far rats. with cats. Yeah. <laughs> cats already hate us. You know, if they were just a little bit bigger, they'd kill us all. Um, but yeah, I kind of liked that they were isolating this and trying to figure out exactly what part of the brain controls this? Because it's such a basic animal instinct that has allowed us to survive. Mm-hmm. And once they can figure out what part of the brain it is, they can figure out how long that part of the brain has been around and how it's developed. And all that is really cool stuff, I think. Yeah, it's weird that they're, that the brain actually does have those centers where, I mean, I think it, sometimes people think that it's like, oh, all of this part of your personality is in this one area of the brain. Like it's a little decentralized, but it yeah. is kind of strange. It's like, oh yeah, here's a part of your brain that processes fear or, you know, these things that we think are so complex. Yeah. It's like, no, it's just this one part. <laughs> like if we were to destroy that, you would they basically... They would be fearless. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, and you kind of can can test that out because that's why uh, alcohol sometimes makes people feel a little bit braver ah. and kind of lowers your anxiety is because it does kind of tamp down some of those centers, <laughs> which is why well, you'll say things you might not normally say. I remember hearing about a woman who she was, I think she was born without it, just that, that oh, part of the brain damn. that doesn't have, you know, that controls fear. And so she never felt fear. And it was actually debilitating because she was unable to ever do risk assessment in life yeah. or figure out if people were trying to take advantage of her or whatever it's so scary like yeah. i i'm afraid all the time i guess but i guess that's better than the alternative yeah that, that reminds me of that um that kid who he was like 14 when when they you know kind of discovered him who couldn't process pain none of his nerve cells could mm. act like none of his pain nerve cells worked because there was this basically like a channel um, that normally would open so that you get a flood of, um, I think it's sodium that uh, your nerve cells use to actually fire. Yeah. And that's how they work. He, his were just like sealed shut. So they could never actually open and process that. So he could stab himself with knives. I mean, that's how they found him. He was doing a Good street Lord. act in, where was he? Was he in Iraq, I think? And yeah, he was doing this street act where he was stabbing himself all over the bot- his body with knives. That's not good. And someone was like, how are you able to do this? Um, People but, don't stab themselves. Yeah, but if you, don't, if you don't have pain, then you don't learn how yeah. to you know, take care of your body. Ugh. I mean, that's how you learn like, oh yeah, maybe I shouldn't jump off right. this building because it might hurt. Right. <laughs> it's that little, Be careful. That little voice in yeah. your head. It's yeah. like, maybe this isn't a good idea. Oh, man. Oh, and, and just our, our regular disclaimer, yeah. we have creatures with us. Yeah. One of them is a human child, and one of them is a furry, not human child. A furry little beast. Yes. But she's quieter than the human child. I don't know. She's digging around the carpet. Right yeah, she's like rolling around. <laughs> I'm not sure what's going on. Everyone's excited. Have you had another dog in here? What is she doing? <laughs> I hope not. Um, so... Yeah, so Vera, Vera Rubin. So sometimes we kind of front load the episode and I tell you why someone's well known, but I'm not going to uh-huh. do that with, with our friend Vera because <laughs> I, for people that don't know, mm-hmm. I want it to be this mystery and so that we, we can um, kind of discover it the way that she discovered it, okay? I'm going to guess Unicorn Pilot. Yes. Just right off the bat. <laughs> uh, so, so Vera, born in 1928. Uh-huh. Uh, we're not going to talk about World War II though this, this time, so that's good. <laughs> we're just going to skip right over it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, she was too young to remember, so no, I'm just kidding. We're fine. So anyway, July 23rd, she's from Philadelphia. Mm. She's from Philly. Uh, her parents worked at Bell Telephone. Um, her dad was uh, an engineer. Her mom worked there too, but as, apparently as soon as they got married, she was let go because uh, of nepotism concerns. I don't know if that meant that maybe he would have wound up managing her in some way or something, mm. but it sounds like just straight up sexism. Like, well, you can't both work here. <laughs> 
Well, it's also that thing that was happening when married women, or they said they were married, and they're like, well, you'll be pregnant soon, so we right. might as well fire you now. Right, right. I mean, yeah, this is back when you definitely, I mean, actually for several decades after this, you could be totally fired for being pregnant because you were a liability. Something could happen to you and then just just leave. Totally makes sense. <laughs> Please go away. <laughs> um, uh, so Vera, very early, was super interested in the stars. <laughs> And astronomy. She remember, she said one of her earliest memories was being in the back of the car and driving home in Pennsylvania and asking her parents why the moon knew where they were going. Because <laughs> it was just like stayed in the same place and was seemed to be following them. She's like, why does the moon know? What kids, is it doing? Why kids, is it following? Kids' us? perspective is so weird. I love it. Because <laughs> it was like, well, everything else is moving by. Like, why is the moon staying there? What's it doing? kind of creepy if you think about it cause cut it out moon um and then uh when she was 10 they moved to dc and um you know still interested in astronomy her dad helped her build a telescope and took her to amateur astronomy meetings was super supportive although you know she said that he wasn't really sure what her opportunities would be in that field but he was like well okay i mean i'll just i'll i'll humor you i guess (laughs) which is you know it's a good dad but yeah um but uh, her, one of her high school science teachers said that, yeah, you're going to be really successful. Like, I'm sure you can do a lot, but just don't do anything in science. <laughs> Thanks. It was, yeah, I know. It's, like, it's a great time. <laughs> I have a feeling that's still happening these days. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think the worst thing I had a science teacher say um, in middle school, we were learning about, you know, simple machines and mm-hmm. levers and pulleys and things. I think that was eighth grade science because yeah i think eighth grade is kind of like physical science like intro physics stuff and yeah and the teacher oh he was such a jerk he said he was explaining levers he's like so boys you know think about a baseball bat you know and he was you know mimicked what a baseball bat does he was like and girls you can think about a broom and start and then and then was showing how a broom works and all all of us were just like how does a broom work katie (laughs) please explain So, oh my yeah. god it was it was no bueno well hold on hold on unless he's referring to a broom which you can fly away on yeah. <laughs> I, I don't see the relevance either way no good so she went to vassar um mm-hmm. for for college which was uh you know or actually still is a women's college and she went there because maria mitchell who was the first uh professional astronomer in the united states who was a woman not the first astronomer <laughs> the first woman astronomer in the united uh-huh. states she actually discovered a comet huh. so she was really cool and that w- that was quite a while ago she let's see she was born in 1818 oh, discovered wow. a comet in 1847 so she had gone to vassar so that was why vera decided to go there she was the only astronomy major in her class. Hmm. So when she graduated in 1948, it was just her. It was like, and here's our astronomy major, everybody. <laughs> Vera, the astronomy of departments, just Vera. <laughs> yeah, <I was> like, <laughs> Hi. Um, but yeah, so she graduated 1948, got married the same year. Um, she <laughs> she yes, loves us. Yeah, Vera. It's great. Yeah. She wanted to go to grad school at Princeton for astronomy, mm-hmm. and she uh, requested a course catalog and started kind of reaching out. And they said, yeah, we don't take ladies, so no. <sighs> Did you know that they didn't start accepting women until 1975? Yeah, after ha- they were required to, because it was in 72, right, oh, that universities were required just, to take women? That's that's so recent. Princeton, isn't that who, uh, what's-her-face had a problem with? Was it Emmy Noether? 
Yeah, was that this? Yeah, that was the same place, huh? Come on, yeah. Princeton. She like came over, escaping World yeah, War Two, to math in the so, United States sorry, for you went us. To Princeton, you guys. <laughs> and Princeton was like, yeah, you can't actually be a professor yeah. here. Oh god. Anyway, so she went to Cornell instead. That's, mm. that's fine. Cornell's an awesome school. So she goes to Cornell for her master's in physics. Uh, she took classes from Richard Feynman hmm. there. I didn't even know he wound, he was ever there. So that's interesting. So he bounced around. Uh, but yeah, and um, she, her thesis was called uh, The Possibility of Bulk Rotation in the Universe by Looking at Non-Hubble Flow. Mm, simple stuff. Yeah, sounds good to me. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> she uh, got her PhD as well uh, from Georgetown. Her PhD advisor was this guy named George Gamow, G-A-M-O-W. Mm-hmm. And um, interesting story, again, about the time. You know, she, she couldn't get into Princeton uh, when she was uh, she was going to go meet with George before she was, you know, going to start to do a PhD with him. And so she went to uh, to visit him at uh, George Washington University, and she wasn't allowed to go up to the offices to actually meet with him because women weren't allowed in that area at all. Were they going to contaminate it? I don't know. <laughs> like, who was enforcing this? <laughs> Probably the poor woman who was the secretary of the department. I just, it's just like, <laughs> is there like a skirt alarm? Like, how do you even know? That's why if you wear pants, you can sneak in. I don't get it. Oh my God. Um, Anyway, so they met in the lobby, but you know, she, so she eventually did his did her PhD with him, which is pretty cool. And then afterwards, you know, she was teaching for a little while, but then she wound up at the uh, the Carnegie Institute. And so here's where we're going to get into her work, and I'm so excited to tell you about it. Um, <laughs> so uh, she was working with someone named Kent Ford, who had this really sensitive spectrometer. Mm-hmm. So what they're doing is they're looking at the night sky and looking at wavelengths of light, and with inc- incredible details, so you can see a lot of information. So what they were actually looking at was uh, galaxies, like mm-hmm. spiral galaxies, the ones that you, you kind of, whenever I, when we picture of a galaxy, we usually are thinking about spiral galaxies. Right. Like the Milky Way is a spiral galaxy, um, that, the one that we're in, that is. Um, and so they were looking at ones where the disk of the spiral is sort of um, flat as we look at it. So mm-hmm. it's like you're just looking oh. at a plate and it's just kind of like a line because you're looking straight you know, at it as mm-hmm. opposed to like seeing the whole circle. So they're looking at that. So that means that uh, the stars, as they move around, are either moving towards you on one side and away from you on the other side. Right. And so what the what you can actually see using a spectrometer like this are the wavelengths of light as they come towards you are uh, are shifting because of the Doppler effect. Because huh. it's like, just like sound, if something coming towards you, it's kind of increased getting, uh, like the sound is going upwards. Yeah. Like when you think of like a, a fire truck's coming towards you, it's like, woo! And then when it goes away, it goes, woo! Yeah. <laughs> you know? Or like a, you know, a ship in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, so you can see... Uh, so when you're looking at those waves, wavelengths of light mm-hmm. that are getting that are shifting towards blue when they come towards you mm-hmm. and shifting towards red as they go away from you because red is a longer wavelength and blue is a shorter one. Gotcha. Uh, so yeah, so you can tell how they're moving and then by how much it shifts as it moves towards you, you can kind of tell how fast it's going. Huh. So you can tell um, by taking all of these measurements over and over and over again, you can see how fast everything's moving around in this spiral galaxy. Huh. So And they were doing that to see... Um, how fast the stars in the middle of the galaxy are moving and mm-hmm. how star fast the stars at the edges are moving. Uh-huh. And what you would expect to see is kind of what we see in our solar system where Mercury is just spinning around the sun really fast. Right, because it's closest. Yeah, and then, you know, 
Neptune and, and Pluto are way out there like, blum, 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 <laughs> going slow. Because <laughs> gravity, you know, the effect of the sun's gravity is, is lesser out there. Right. So it's not fringing around. They're less beholden to yeah. the sun. But guess what? What? The stars at the edges of the galaxy were moving just as fast if not even a little bit faster than the ones in the center, or close to the center, not oh. at the center. Really? Yeah. So what does that mean? Well, it means that the gravity at the center of the galaxy, which is usually a supermassive black hole, right? Uh, that gravity is not, is not the only thing in play here. Because hmm. if that was the only source of gravity, then yeah, the ones at the, at the edges would be moving slower, because there's right. just less pulling on them out there. Huh, so there was something there's there something speeding else. them along. There's something else out there. Was it aliens? <laughs> yes. The end. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everybody. <laughs> I had to ask. Every time there's something that comes up in astronomy, people are like, oh, it's definitely Oh, God, aliens. yeah. It's like, let's rule some stuff out. <laughs> it was like when we were talking about Tesla. Go back and listen to yeah. the Tesla episode, you guys. He yeah. was like, oh, wait, I found aliens. Everyone's like, no. No, no. <laughs> no, you, no, you didn't, honey. I'm so sorry about that. So clearly something else is going on. There mm-hmm. has to be more stuff out there to explain it, but it was something that you couldn't see. So they couldn't figure out what was going on. Uh, They started reporting some of this to other astronomers, and she later said that great astronomers were telling them it didn't mean anything. (laughs) They were like, no, that can't can't be right, because it just made no sense. Yeah. I mean, it's just like saying that one equals two, and so that was what their data said, and they were like, that can't possibly be right, so no. Um, Hmm. But Ruben, uh, sorry, Vera, rather, we always go by first names here. So uh, Vera and her and Kent just continued to look at other spiral galaxies and take these measurements. They looked at 60 of them, and it was all the same. Wow. And so they basically were just like, look, guys, I don't know how to tell you this, but there's more <laughs> stuff out there. The, the, what we can see, you know, the stars and all the matter that we're looking at, yeah. there's got to be five or ten times more stuff out there to explain these numbers. There's just huh. no other way. So now we call this dark matter. Dun, dun, dun. Do we even now understand dark matter? No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> not the slightest. So the key, the key to science incorrectly and well is to discover something that you can't explain, and then you just don't live to actually ever see the explanation. Yeah, pretty much. But yeah, more or less. Yeah. yeah. But then you're, you're good to go because you're like, well, I found the thing. You guys figure it out. Yeah. I mean, she loved that we couldn't explain it yet. I mean, she <laughs> thought it was just fantastic that there's, because it just means that there's always so much more to discover. This, you know, this was huge. I mean, to think that the observable universe, which is how we kind of refer to the bulk of all the matter that we are familiar with, you know, yeah. suns and planets and meteors and comets and just all the space junk all the space stuff that's really cool yeah that's five percent of what is out there that's five percent this this used to be our only tool up until very recently like the visible spectrum or you know any the x-rays and everything that was the only way to study the universe and now just recently within the past year or so now we can see gravitational waves and dark matter we still haven't figured out yeah but it's, it's out wild. there we just need to figure out a way to measure it and see it or, you know, interpret it in a way that we can understand. So she wasn't the first person to suggest that there's missing mass hmm. kind of out there. It was actually someone in 1933 named uh, Fritz Zwicky, which is like the funnest name, <laughs> Z-W-I-C-K-Y, uh, at Caltech, just had kind of 
said, yeah, some things aren't adding up here. They're clearly something else. But no one really paid any attention. Again, yeah. even after uh, Vera had all this data, a lot of astronomers were like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> that can't be right. It just can't be. I'm not going to wrap my brain around that right now because it, it, I, I guess that's make a problem sense. because, you know, how much how much dark matter is there in the universe? Is it 95% of matter or something so like that? So dark matter, the estimate right now is that it's about a quarter of the universe is dark okay. matter. And then the matter that we're familiar with is about 5%. And the rest is dark energy Ooh, sounds so evil i know but i guess that's why they wanted to ignore it because otherwise you have to admit that you only can understand five percent of the universe you went from 100 percent or what you thought was 100 percent to five yeah it's like that's oh a... you thought you'd, what you're doing was important guess what it's <laughs> only five percent of anything <laughs> it's an f minus minus but like most of your field doesn't actually exist sorry <laughs> i heard this really great analogy for for dark energy and dark matter that it's kind of like the ghost of physics because mm-hmm. you can't see it, but you can see how it's affecting other things. It's yeah. like a ghost is going through your house and picking up glasses and throwing them at the wall. And you're like, well, um, okay, I know you're there because that just happened. It's like the astronomical <laughs> poltergeist. Yeah. It's like, what? Because <laughs> yeah, we can see how it's affecting stuff. We don't know how to measure it. I mean, yeah. and, she, and, and she said, you know, whoever said that all matter is going to emit light? I mean, because that's, that's how we're measuring everything. That's how we're looking out. And yeah. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're looking at visible light. We're looking at X-rays. There, we have you know photos of galaxies and X-rays that look really cool. But that's all the stuff they're admitting. You know, no one ever guaranteed that everything would admit some wavelength that we could see, right? Or, or you know, measure rather. Just not like just no see. one said life was fair. Yeah, God, <laughs> you just have to let it go. Get over it. So she's credited with discovering dark matter. Well, she's credited with basically providing a, a, the bulk of the evidence for it. I mean, again, it wasn't mm. her, she wasn't the first one to suggest that there was more stuff out there, but I mean, her data was is yeah. the reason that it is something people you know, accept. I, I was gonna say understand, we don't understand it. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's the reason that we have this new view of things is all the work that she did looking at just galaxy after galaxy after galaxy and saying, hey. Yeah, I think that's the thing is like once, you know, astronomers observe something weird, then they have to determine, is this a singular weird thing or is it more widespread and we just didn't realize it? And so, yeah, yeah. I guess looking at dozens and dozens of galaxies are like, oh, yeah, this is actually pretty common. Mm-hmm. And so now we really have to deal with figuring out what what's going on. Because yeah. otherwise, you know, if it affects everyone, <laughs> you should probably figure it out. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, and then uh, I was going to share this story I loved so much. So she dealt with uh, sexism her entire career. I mm-hmm. mean, I think astronomy... It's so funny that her dad, as a child, when she was a kid, was like, I don't know about this. Because astronomy is such an old field. And mm-hmm. I think it was such a, you know, such a dude's domain that they really were like, what, who's, who's this lady? What is she doing here? <laughs> um, when she was uh, going to the Palomar Observatory, which mm-hmm. was jointly owned by Caltech and Carnegie, where she was. Uh, so she, she had to really fight to get any time on the telescope to begin with. But when right. she did get there, there was no woman's restroom. Because there were no women there. She was the only one. Yeah. So what she did was she t- took a piece of paper and cut out a triangle. Uh-huh. And I just pasted it on the door. And she's like, ha it's the women's restroom now. <laughs> That's actually a problem in a lot of universities with old buildings. Because they were like, you know, in, in the 70s when they finally admitted women, they're like, oh, crap. Where are they going to pee? Yeah. And I, so they had to go through and like relabel some restrooms and, you know, guys were upset because they had fewer restrooms. Like, oh, yeah. I, I worked in a building that, um, in the chemistry department at, uh, at USC that 
there were all their bathrooms on every floor, but mm-hmm. only one. So it was like the odd yeah. odd floors had dude bathrooms and the even floors had ladies' restrooms. So it was like <laughs> you had to. So yeah, some people were about to look. I have to go downstairs every single time. I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. That's just. I think you'll live. That's how it was in my college dorm. And the way we solved that was just like whatever. Anyone can use this restroom. Yeah. <laughs> just don't wave at the guy at the urinal as you walk. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I don't understand urinals. Who decided that guys don't need privacy to pee? I don't know. I mean, it's, we're, they're, it's kind they of seem weird. okay with it, but I don't understand why they don't get to have a wall. Yeah. And by the way, guys, in the women's restroom, we have walls. Yeah. I don't know if you know that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we don't see each other pee. Weird. But even, even weirder is when it's like that trough situation. <laughs> Yeah, then you can't even pretend that you're not all peeing together. <laughs> well, I remember in high school, I was asking my guy friends about bathroom etiquette, and they were because they were saying that, um, oh, yeah, I think someone was saying that he had to wait to, to pee because the, the restroom was really full. Uh-huh. But he was explaining that full meant that every other urinal was taken. And I was like, wait, what? And he was like, yeah, well, you never go stand directly next to somebody. You always have right. one unused urinal in between you. This is an inefficient system. And if you just like, put up walls, then everyone could have a urinal all yeah. the time. I just, I was fascinated. I was like, wait, so, okay. So then I was asked, I like kind of, you know, said, okay, there's five urinals. Like, they're all empty. Which one do you go to? Okay, there's one dude here. Where do you go? Like, yeah. Like, how well, it all shakes out. I used to work. Uh-huh, in- <laughs> sorry, no pun intended. <laughs> Well, I used to work in in government sector, and uh, there were very few women, and that was like the best part of going to conferences and meetings, is because like when you had a two minute break to go to the bathroom, the women's bathroom was completely empty, and the guys' bathroom had to line out the door, which is like completely opposite of what the typical experience is. That was the only upside of sexism, you guys, (laughs) was that there is no line for the bathroom. I'm so sorry, you guys. (laughs) She's excited. I think that the binky would help. I'd like to mention that she is wearing a wild feminist t-shirt. So maybe that's part of it. She's like, yeah, that's pretty great. <laughs> and Willow, now you're being a butt. You guys, I can't, I, I need to stop bringing everybody. <laughs> it's the menagerie. Yeah. It's just life. I will say that uh, Vera was never very upset about not receiving more awards or not getting a Nobel and things like that. She sounds like she was really chill, um, which I th- people always say that about her. And I think it was almost like they're saying, it's cool that she didn't get a Nobel. She was cool with it, which is, yeah. which is not cool. I don't care. Someone, someone being mellow doesn't mean that you get to ignore them. Yeah. Um, but she did talk a lot about um, representation in science and getting more women into the field, hmm. such as this squeaky beast right here. Um <laughs> And she said a lot of things like, I live and work with three basic assumptions. Ready for these? Mm. One, there is no problem in science that can be solved by a man that cannot be solved by a woman. Mm-hmm. That's one. Two, worldwide, half of all brains are in women. True. Shocker. Three, we all need permission to do science. But for some reason, reasons that are deeply ingrained in history, this permission is more often given to men than to women. Mm. And I love that expression, permission to do science. Yeah. Because it is, you know, it's not something that everybody guarantees you. Somehow we have to give people permission to do that. You have Mm -hmm. to be almost invited. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that people forget that when they're just like, oh, well, well, if more women wanted to do it, they would just do it. Like something's wrong with them if they're not doing it. And it's like, no, you didn't extend anything. They or they tried and you told them to stop. I mean... 
Well, this... she started out in one of the fields that is the most accessible initially. You just look up at the night sky and you can see stars. Right. Yeah. But then becomes one of the most exclusive because there's only a certain number of observatories in the world. Mm-hmm. And if you can't get time on them, you are not going to discover That's or an see excellent point. those things. That is, it's probably the most extreme pyramid in that yeah. way. Yeah, because... Because there are biology... There are biology labs all over the place. Yeah. And, and well, yeah, because the equipment you need is not as sophisticated. Exactly. And yeah, yeah, that's really true. God, I never thought about that. I mean, there that. are even more observatories nowadays. Palomar's been around for a long time. Well, I, I love that astronomy is one of the things you can be an amateur at. You know, amateur yeah. astronomy is a thing. There's not so much, a, a, you know, amateur chemistry going around. It's like, yeah. I actually did a, well. a, like sort of a comic about that. Uh-huh. Yeah, because if someone says, oh, I'm an amateur astronomer, you know, and I look at, I have a big telescope and I look, I just looked at Jupiter last night. You're like, that's awesome. <laughs> if someone's like, yeah, I'm an amateur chemist. I've got a chem lab in my backyard. You'd be like, you're like I'm sorry, excuse me. I need to, never be I need friends. to use the bathroom and leave this conversation and never come back. It's like, oh, so you make meth I know. <laughs> that's what it sounds like <laughs> yeah and if you're an amateur biologist it just makes it sound like you i don't know what would what would that be i don't know like a weird just taxidermist doing, I mean, yeah i was gonna say like cruelty to animals or something oh, what, do you, what do you mean by that yeah it's hard yeah hmm that's not great either yeah but yeah astronomy it's for everyone yeah sort of i guess it has become more accessible just because the equipment that you can buy nowadays is better yeah and they're you know they're actually soliciting um help from astronomy communities around the world to try to find planet nine all right so they've released a bunch of data and they're like hey guys go wait have we ever talked about planet nine i think we've mentioned it before i don't have we this is the thing i always forget what i've said and to whom i know you know how like sometimes in movies there's this thing where like there's like a creepy moment where it's like i never told you that his name was dave (laughs) you clearly have been following me you know what i mean like there's that the other shoe drops like oh you're a crazy person i never told you that thing that you know I, that would not be me. I'd be like, oh, I don't remember, I don't remember telling you that, but I clearly did. <laughs> well, yeah, well, hey, you, hey. <laughs> I guess in case people don't know, there were actually Caltech astronomers figured out about a year ago that there's this force out there that doesn't make sense. You know, they look at the universe, they look at the data, and they're like, huh, this doesn't make sense. It's very much like yeah. Vera, you know, saying, hey, there's something else. There's exactly. a gravitational anomaly here that we can't explain. It was exactly that. And instead of dismissing it and being like, well, that doesn't exist don't worry about it it's probably aliens it was they were just like, a ghost they did the calculations and they figured out oh there's a massive object out there like 10 times the mass of earth so it's another planet yeah. it's big enough to be another planet and so it's out there somewhere on this huge orbit i think they think it's like 10 or twenty thousand years to orbit the sun which is way out there yeah it's like 10 times farther out than pluto is and pluto yeah. is way out there so you guys. the calculations Whoa. indicate that there is another planet in our solar system in our solar system, which is crazy, you know, and these are the same, this is one of the same guys who got rid of Pluto. So he owes us a planet. Yeah. You know? So That's so poetic. Now they just have to find it. But yeah. of course, with an orbit of 20,000 years, we can only really see it if it's close. So they're yeah. hoping that it is close. And they're now, you know, releasing all this data of the night sky saying, hey, can everyone just kind of look for this planet and let us know if you find it. Have you seen, it's on the side of milk cartons. <laughs> have you have seen, you seen this planet? <laughs> when, and I think also just the way that all of the, the matter, you know, how kind of things shook out in the solar, solar system with like a big, a big, a big Jupiter gas mm-hmm. giant. I think that they were always like, there should be another one. Yeah. Wasn't, and I don't remember it's how been, they knew that. It's been a while that they've, that they've thought that. And I, I think it's because they've seen effects of it, but they mm. just never were able to run the 
the calculations that gave them the projected orbits. So they have all of these possible orbits that it could be. And um, they think that, you know, if it's close enough, we might actually be able to get a picture of it. I mean, not like a real picture. It really it's gonna a crappy be like picture of a it. really crap. <laughs> what we're hoping for. <laughs> See, the, the, the next Nobel is going to go to the person with the really crappy picture of Planet Nine. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so uh, so that's why big observatories are important too, because it's only with a huge mirror that you can really right. catch a it's crappy be, photo of this I mean, thing. it's going to be a dot. I mean, we. I mean, Pluto yeah. again is so much closer. Yeah. And until New Horizons got there, our pictures of it was just like it's a fuzzy, a big brownish dot. thing. <laughs> and yeah, and so people just had to guess. It was like we have no clue. You have to get so close like quote unquote yeah to get to see stuff i mean you i can't like i have to think that with hubble and 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 even like ground-based telescopes if you were really good at it or if it was big enough you'd be like yeah we could see something that far it's like no no you can we see can't. that it's there you can see a dot and this is why astronomy is so fascinating to me because it's like you aim your instrument at a distant galaxy and what you're getting back with a spectrometer is just indications of, like you said, how fast stars are moving. Mm -hmm. Or if you aim it at a planet, you're like, oh, well, I can tell on the spectrum what elements are there, but I can't tell right. what part they make of. And so it, it all becomes a, a theory exercise. Right. Where like, well, we think it's a gas giant. We think the gas is methane. And we yeah. think, you know. Well, it's like when they look for exoplanets, you know, so planets around other stars. Yeah. And obviously another star is even the closest one is pretty darn far away. So, and all the only way they can find those is just by looking at the star and saying, does it ever get any darker? Because yeah. there's a planet coming exactly. in between us and the star. Exactly. But so that means it's, it only works for ones where it perfectly lines up so yeah. that the planet is exactly between us and the star. So obviously if it's, you know, if we're looking at the plate like head on and it's a circle, we're not going to see any of those planets yeah. because and they're this never is getting where, in between us. This is where data comes in. It's like you have to observe enough galaxies where you can say, okay, we know that, we can see this many planets per galaxy on average, but we think it's actually more and just like, you yeah. know, project. Well, so we then, don't know anything. Yeah. And so forget about moons. They're so small. <laughs> yeah. We don't, like, can't there see are, moons. there are moons around Saturn that are so small, even Cassini that's like right there. Can't see them. Crazy. I mean, what? Well, yeah, they're far away too. If there's no light. Yeah. You're going to run into I mean, it even before Cassini you see is it. like you, even yeah so there are some moons that we've gotten some data on but yeah they're they're so dark and small Cassini can't see them like I, what I know I think this is the part that's missing from education cuz I remember growing up and they're like there are nine planets in the solar system yeah, we know everything about we know about all this, this stuff we know no, all this stuff no. it's like later you realize you're like oh we don't know anything we don't know how many moons for surezies how many moons Saturn and Jupiter have I mean and, and the farther out ones of course not either Uranus and Neptune like I don't know yeah. it's like what and we yeah that's why we that's why we find new moons all the time yeah. because and some apparently of them new are planets pretty darn small and then and then it calls into question our whole definition of a moon because there are some little pieces of, of stuff around them that are yeah. so small it's like well where do you where do you start saying it's not a moon anymore it's just a piece of it's just a tiny space rock that's orbiting this planet well that was the issue with pluto they found another object that was in similar size actually slightly larger than pluto and then they're like well is this a planet yeah and they and then you know the, ast the astronomy community got together and were like yeah. No. Yeah, it's not like the universe wants to be made sense of. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like we were trying to put some organizational structure on top of it. 
And it, it's just and it's like, like <laughs> yeah, it's just like species in, in biology. It's like some yeah. things don't match up perfectly. We're like, oh yeah, you can group all these into a, this class and th- these are all a family. It's like, well, what what if they don't like being classified that way? Poor biologists, when they got to Australia, they were like, they're like, what oh the man, hell, you mammals guys? are weird. What's this thing what with a beak you? in it? Please? Oh God. Where do it's we a put it? tree, I guess. What? But it's cute. Just make a cute Thank category. God. Thank God. Yeah. But like I was saying, uh, Vera was pretty chill about uh, recognition she got and recognition she didn't get. Um, she said something to Rebecca Oppenheimer, an astrophysicist at the American Museum of Natural History. She said, don't let anyone keep you down for silly reasons, such as who you are. Silly reasons like that. <laughs> and don't worry about prizes and fame. The real prize is finding something new out there, which is something you have to tell yourself if people are constantly closing doors yeah. in your face. <laughs> like, yeah. But, um, but you know, but good for her. I think that's pretty cool. And, um, we agree. And, um, and yeah, she said, we've peered into a new world and have seen that it is more mysterious and more complex than we had imagined. Still more mysteries of the universe remain hidden. Their discovery awaits the adventurous scientists of the future. I like it this way. <laughs> I just love that. That's very awesome. Yeah, she just reveled in how much we don't know. And yeah. I think that's beautiful. <laughs> I guess you we would have to all. if you're the one who discovered that we don't understand 95% of the universe. Yeah, she like turns everything upside down and goes, but it's cool, right, guys? It's amazing. <laughs> this is cool. Don't hate me. They're like, actually, no, we're really upset that you did this to us, but thanks for asking. So is that why she never got the Nobel? People were just, <laughs> mad. just mad. Yeah, I know. Like, why didn't I discover that? <laughs> yeah, maybe they are. They're just holding a grudge because they, for so long, for decades, were like, nah. And I know there was like a campaign, right? Like people were trying to convince the committee oh, yeah. that people she should get one. People were constantly saying, "Hey, what are you guys doing?" Yeah, I, it's I a think... huge, huge discovery, physics yeah. discovery. Yeah. So being, you know, the whole Nobel thing—they're great and all, but yeah. I almost kind of wish that they didn't exist because you know, turning like making people celebrities or trying to say that, oh yeah, we we have some external force that's going to reward some people and not others. I don't know. I'm actually not a huge fan yeah. of the, the general message. Or they should just have more. Because yeah. they give out money. Well, they should just like, give out more money. Like, I don't care who wins an Academy Award <laughs> yeah. either. I kind of feel like the Nobels are almost, I don't know, kind of passing into that realm for me. I'm just like, mm. I don't really care if this very small committee of people likes you or not. Yeah. I don't think that that matters very much. I think science is more than that. And, and I don't care if a movie wins an, an Oscar. I'm like... It's, it was boring. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I like every year the the bet the you know the awards for best or the sorry the nominees for best picture come out and I'm like I haven't seen any of those. <laughs> was it a comedy? I don't care. I know you're like it wasn't a comedy or a kids movie. I haven't seen it. Yeah. Don't care. Yeah, well, I'm boring like that. Well, good on Vera. So we'll definitely invite Vera to brunch. Mm-hmm. Obviously, she would be so much fun. We can talk about space and we can talk about how cool women's restrooms are. <laughs> It'll be a fantastic. <laughs> I agree. And I like that, you know, I, I like her perspective. I don't think it's right that she wasn't ever formally recognized the way other people were for their discoveries. But, but you can't let it get you down. I mean, yeah. you, can't, you have to... What are what are the alternatives to yeah. be bitter? You have to have your... You have to be centered. You have to yeah. not worry about what other people are getting... Like, just like, if no one listened to this podcast ever, we would still do it. <laughs> I mean, that's it's... kind of what happens right now. <laughs> <laughs> you can't let it get you down. Yeah, exactly. You know? She'd understand us. And yeah. we understand her. Yeah. Except, you know, she she really helped 
science. Yeah. She did a little more than, than we're doing, I, I think. Slight, just slightly. I think it's, it's, it's like arguable. neck and neck, but yeah, yeah. she wins. <laughs> so I think that wraps up the first episode of season three. Season Woo-hoo. three. My God, this, this science branch is a toddler now. How did that happen? Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe and rate and review. Or I think those are the same thing. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And we will see you next time when we're talking about someone else. <laughs> we'll right? figure it out. Is that how it works? Yep. <laughs> Yay. See you next time.